have a story about my brother. Okay. Uh, so he's he's uh, he's in the army and he's actually trying to get out of the army. Well, not trying to get out. He's going to transition to reserve. Uh, and it means he's got to go and find a real job. Yeah. Um, so I guess they have some kind of program where they kind of transition those guys out and they introduce them to, or they have they let people come in to kind of come in and try to recruit them type yeah, situation. Job fair type of thing? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, he said, and uh, he got some pretty good offers, uh, but it was interesting because the reason it piqued my interest is because we've been hearing about this fourth industrial revolution and how no one's going to have a job and robots going to take over everything. AI. <clears throat> yep, it's the AI. And uh, he said something to me, and I'm paraphrasing a paraphrase, so forgive me. But he said, one of the guys that talked to me said, he said, hey, guys, I got to be honest with you here. Um, these millennials, man, they don't want to do things with their hands. <laughs> hmm. And he said that because what he was offering those guys sounded too good to be true. I mean, he, he was offering them sign-on bonus. He was offering to be extremely flexible with their reserve time. And if they get deployed, he's even offering to cover whatever the Army doesn't pay in their salary. He will cover the rest, yeah. that type of thing. That's cool. Um, and so it sounded too good to be true. And I'm like, that does sound too good to be true. Um, the work is really hard, though. It's really hard labor, work in remote locations. They do this like 12-day on, 12-day off type situation with their work schedule, something like that, because of the type of work. Um, so he was asking my advice on it. I was like, well, the parts of it sound too good to be true. And he's like, and that's when he told me that comment that he made. He's, and he's essentially, these companies that are in these industries where they rely on a lot of you know people to do the work, um, they're having a hard time finding people. And uh, even recently, I don't know if it's just because I'm aware of this and I'm seeing it more, but I even saw this Washington Post article about, um, it's titled The Rise of the Blue Collar Signing Bonus, uh, where it's getting up to like a quarter thousand, uh, $25,000 on some of these industries where they're really heavily having to recruit these people. Yeah. I, I keep reading the, the same type of thing, just out like these tra the trades and vocational schools. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I think that's going to be the only jobs that are going to be left. Either that or unless you've, you've somehow got some kind of well, I don't know. executive I th job. I think the tech industry has kind of created this bubble where they think automation is the answer to everything and AI is the answer to everything. And if, if I take something also from the headlines, let's look at Tesla, who's having major issues scaling to demand, or even scaling to build quality cars. And, 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 and know, what, what, what is everyone citing? Was? Citing is the fault of that? Well, I can tell you one, one of the reasons that, that Elon, Mr. Elon, uh, darling of darling of uh, industry and expert at taking pu public funds from taxpayers, I can tell you what he said, which is they actually over-roboticized the place. Roboticized? That and it's word. biting them in the butt now. Yeah. yeah. And that's been a lot of the complaints. Not only, have, not only has he had to admit that, but a lot of the analysts have just said... Was that what you'd heard? The same thing? Yeah, that's oh. what I heard. They have said that it, they did. Were, they were too quick to automate everything, including final assembly, and even companies. Uh, I think they mentioned a few. I think like Toyota was one of the ones they mentioned where where they've tried to do that and they just have not been successful at it. That they still need people in final assembly to not only to to do things and and maintain a certain level of quality, but also to be able to scale and, and deal with all these just various different situations that happen with the way things fit or the way they work or or just anything like that. So I think you know. I wonder if this whole thing has been overplayed to a certain extent. <clears throat> I don't know. I think the over, over roboticizing of some of these factories, I think some of that might just be a natural pendulum swinging. You know, you, you, you cut, you push and you, you push hard until you realize you push a little too far. Then you, you scale back a little bit and you let the technology catch up some. And then, you know, a few years later, you, you, 
you check again and see how see how far you can go with stuff. Um, yeah, but I mean, you're going to go farther every time. Yeah, um, I still, I just, I just think there's still quite a bit of to be said for handmade for craftsmanship. Yeah, you well, know? on on that point, let that's a good um, entree into <laughs> an article I found, which is um, about uh, Watson and this guy who. I don't know, it's kind of an expert, I guess. He says that um, fraudulent, well, the title of this is Fraudulent Claims Made by IBM About Watson and AI. He says they're not doing any cognitive computing, no matter how many times they say they are. And I've got, it's kind of a long article, but I did, I did, I just highlighted some things. So I'm going to read it for a minute. But uh, he says, he talks about how basically like what most of these systems are doing are basically just keyword counting. I mean, Google is keyword counting, basically. Mm -hmm. And there's all, you know, Tons of these systems that are that are calling themselves AI or even machine learning are are just keyword counting. But he says, fifty years later, keywords are still dominating the thoughts of people who try to get computers to deal with language. But this time, the keyword people have deceived the general public by making claims that uh, this is thinking that AI is here, and that by the way, we should be very afraid or very excited. I forget which. We were making some good progress on getting computers to understand language. Uh, but in 1984, the AI winter started. Now, you've, you're familiar with the AI winter, right? No, no. It's just, I mean, so all these concepts, I mean, neural networks and all these things, these are these were from like the 60s, 70s, and 80s and stuff. And yeah, I remember those days. That was, wasn't that like Lawnmower Man, that movie that came oh, out around that time? Yeah, that was, that was a weird movie. Yeah. I kind of like that movie, though. I, I'm, sure it was, I'm sure it would not hold up well today. It, it, I don't think it does. I think I tried to watch it recently. But I remember at the time, it... it uh, it made me feel things. It took, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it took. Ended up taking the guy over, right? He's like, he got yeah. I mean, he took it. over, and then the ending with the, all the phones ringing. I was like, oh, that, that, that got me. Um, no, the so the AI winter. I guess I, it was in '84 is when it started. It's just um, that's when you know, they they pushed so much, and there was so much uh, research and investment going into AI, and all these promises about what it could do. Not unlike really, well, like, I think what we're feeling right now. Although it's a big difference, you know, this time around, but. Um, it just it couldn't go anywhere. They they didn't have the computing power for it, you know. All the promises were basically no, you know nothing lived up to the hype, mm. and so that's when the so, so called AI winter started. Just uh, 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 beginning of the, the the dark ages of AI. You know, it kind of died off, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's still some research going on, still some studying being done, but there was you know all the the private funding, the public funding, all that you know kind of fell apart. Anyway, he says the AI winter was a result of too many promises about things that AI could do that really could not do. He says this was about uh, promoting expert systems. Where are they now? Uh, funding dried up and real work on natural languages, uh, natural language processing died too. Then he talks about Google for a while, but he says he's not, he's not, he's not worried about Google though because it works well enough for our, our needs. He actually talks about how the thing, <laughs> Google's not AI. It's not even close because we actually learn how to, we learn how to deal with Google. You learn how to talk to Google. Mm -hmm. You learn how to do searches in a way that like, yeah. it's because it's, it's a keyword counting machine, and it counts links. Well, it's a tool, and you learn how to well, best use that tool or manipulate that tool to your needs. Google's big innovation was was um, off-page semantics, right? It was mm -hmm. before then. It was everything that was in a in a web page, a a a resource on the web that uh, that the search engines would would look at that what was on that page to figure out what it was about. Mm -hmm. And Google flipped that a little bit and. They looked at things that were pointing to that page and what they were about, and that was that was Google's innovation. I mean, that's literally what set them apart and what created you know 
who knows how many billionaires and all this, you know, this giant company, we alphabet that yeah. send all this stuff nowadays. Anyway, okay, I'm going to continue. What I'm concerned about are the exaggerated claims being made by IBM about their Watson program. Recently, they ran an ad featuring Bob Dylan, which made me laugh, or it would have if it had not made me so angry. I will say it clearly, Watson is a fraud. I'm not saying that it can't crunch words, and there may well be value in that to some people, but the ads are fraudulent. And it's got like copy of these ads. I'm not going to read it all, but he, he says, here's something from Adweek, and I'll just do the first sentence. The computer brags it can read 800 million pages per second, identifying key themes in Dylan's work like time passes and love fades. He goes on and on, and I'll talk about that. But then then he his response is, he said, really? I'm a child of the 60s, and I remember Dylan's songs well enough. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ask anyone from that era about Bob Dylan, and no one will tell you his main theme was love fades. He was a protest singer and a singer about the hard knocks of life. He was part of the anti-war movement. Love fades? That that would be a dumb computer counting word. How would Watson see that many of Dylan's songs were part of the anti-movement? Does he say anti-war a lot? He probably never s- said it once in a song. I forgot to pause my crash plane. All right. Um, but he, you know, another, another example from uh, claiming, I guess, that uh, this... I don't know they can understand Dylan stuff, but then he says, uh, but he doesn't mention Vietnam or civil rights, so Watson wouldn't know that he had anything to do with those issues. It is possible to talk about something and have the words themselves not be very telling. Background knowledge matters a lot. I asked a 20-something about Bob Dylan a few days ago, and he had never heard of him. He didn't know much about the 60s, and neither does Watson. You can't understand words if you don't know their context. You know, that reminds me of, was it, what I, was it last week when I mentioned that, and I just, just random idea kind of thought of just in uh, off the cuff, but... What if you're using what's uh, Einstein mm-hmm. to tell you, you know, which leads you should go pursue, which companies you should go sell to? Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say there's some legislation that's bouncing around Congress that is going to change an industry and create right. create a lot of new new opportunities and kill probably kill a lot of old ones. Well, unless Einstein is, which it's not, is can make those kind of connections. This is something that like only humans or true artificial intelligence could do, I guess. Right, and it's just there's just so much stuff that like, and, that, and but I even I even built on your argument saying that it, because of what you had talked about with the what was it Baptists and uh, bootleggers, <laughs> bootleggers, that, that law could be written in a way to say, oh, that's going to help you, <clears throat> but its real intent is to help someone else or helps or do the opposite of what it says it's going to do. Yeah, and so it, it, if we're having trouble understanding that, how is the computer going to be able to understand right. that? Yeah, I'm just I'm just speculating. Let's let's say that what let's say that. Um, Einstein does do those types of things, which it doesn't. But but where's the proof? Again, I want to know. Like, other than just Benioff just getting on up there, and and uh, and Parker and these other people just you know just claiming that Watson's amazing and fabulous and so smart, and he's got a seat at their board table and all the their executive table. I mean, other than just totally like I don't want to say fabricated because um, maybe it's not, but um, base like unsubstantiated claims. Watson, why why Jeopardy? would someone trust? Why would someone trust that? Like, give me one reason. Give me any kind of data that shows why I should trust that thing. Watson was on Jeopardy, wasn't he? <laughs> we're, we're talking about Einstein, but you said Watson. I, I meant Einstein. I know. I keep. I, th- I feel like I've said the wrong thing several yeah. times now. I meant Einstein. Uh, let's see. Suppose I told you that I heard a friend was buying a lot of sleeping pills, and I was worried. Watson would say, "I hear you're thinking about suicide." Would Watson suggest we hurry over and talk to our friend about their problems? Of course not. People understand in context because they know about the world and real issues in people's lives. They don't count words. Wait a minute. So, so buying it, but a bunch of sleeping pills means you want to commit suicide? Is that a thing? No, no. So, 
he says, suppose I told you that I heard a friend was buying a lot of sleeping bills and I was worried about that friend. Oh, okay. Okay. So, sorry, um, a little slow. And then another Dylan thing, he says, this was written by a human. Um, it's, it's actually from another site. But he said, this was written by a human. How do I know? Because Watson can't draw real conclusions by counting 800 million pages of text. Because er- early in the article, he, uh, he was making fun of them for claiming that Watson can read like 800 million pages of text a second or something like that. He says, of course, what, what upsets me the most is not, what, is not Watson, but what IBM actually says um, from the quote above. Unlike traditional programming, uh, unlike, unlike traditionally programmed computers, cognitive systems such as Watson understand, reason, and learn. And then he kind of wraps this up by saying that he started a company. Uh, it was Cognitive Systems in 1981. Uh, he says, the things, I, the things I was talking about then have clearly not been read by IBM, although they seem, li- they seem to like the words I used. Watson is not reasoning. You can, all, you can only reason if you have goals, plans, ways of attaining them, and a, co- and a comprehension of the beliefs that others may have, and a knowledge of past experiences to reason from. A point of view helps too. What's Watson's point of view on ISIS, for example? Dumb question? Actually, thinking entities have a point of view about ISIS. Dogs don't, but Watson isn't as smart as a dog either. <laughs> anyway, he wraps up with, I'm, I'm, it would be nice if IBM would tone down the hype and let people know what Watson can actually do and stop making up nonsense about love fading and outthinking cancer. IBM is simply lying now and they need to stop. AI winter is coming soon. So we're due for another winter. Yeah, and I, mean, I, just, I think this applies to you know the kind of the, the world we live in the, in the Salesforce context. With so I don't think the argument he's making is that artificial intelligence or machine learning, whatever we want to label it, is is a bad thing. I think what he's just trying to say is the hype that's built up around it is is going to kill itself. That it's it's more detrimental to hype it in the way that they have been than it is to let it progress and to be honest about what its capabilities are. Well, and this I guess that brings up the age old question: should should you lie to your customers and pr- and <laughs> promise them things that Really aren't possible, and I, you know, we never see that, do we? In the, in our space, we never see any of that. It's, it's always very clear fact and honesty. <laughs> well, well, I mean, how how do you sell uh, ice cubes to an Eskimo? I mean, you gotta. I'm sure that was probably not PC, no, but that's very racist to me. But John. that 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 old saying. I mean, you have to build hype around something that and and make it out to be something that it either yeah. is or isn't, or just highlight an attribute so much that it makes you want it or is it a, is it more effective just to be be honest and and helpful and you know i wonder about that because i think i think a lot of us would say yeah be honest with me but i think a lot of us kind of want to be lied to we kind of want to be told that you're 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 in the right that what you just bought you bought it for the right reasons type situation um so i don't know i kind of on the fence i think it just depends I, I i think we as humans do like to be lied to Honestly. I guess so. I just I I couldn't be in that first group though and live with myself and be happy with what I was doing. I mean that's that's one thing I I like about what I do is I get to be the person that that speaks honestly, that gives actual feedback, that is is actually consultative based on real facts, real the real situation and real capabilities. And no, I, I agree help, and I help that, people but... navigate those waters. That's part of that's like probably one of the most valuable things I get to do. It's not it's probably not writing, you know, f- four loops and. Yeah, well, I, I think that works in a in a in an area where everything is logical, and I think that's where that's where 
AI is going to fail is that, is that not everything is logical. There's emotion involved and there's there's bias involved and there's all these little things that that are not logical. So he's talking about in context and in a position. What's your if you don't have a position on things, how could you possibly like help me with something? Yeah. I, so, so that's where I come from when I say I think people like to be lied to is because sometimes you do kind of either do a half truth or you just don't mention something because you know it's detrimental to the conversation or it's detrimental to the goals that you have that you're all trying to achieve. You just kind of skirt around it and you deal with what you can deal with. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, I think it also depends on whether you're optimizing for short-term goals or long-term goals. I mean, I I talk myself, I talk clients out of work for me all the time. But now you're poor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how well is that working out for me? So maybe maybe for but, your family's sake, you need to do a little bit more, more line, Mr. Mr. Ross. Yeah. No, but, but in all seriousness, my, my, the, the strategy though is that long-term, I'll, I'll have more business. I'll, I'll build more trust. You know, right. and I'll, I'll have better relationships. And that's a good point to make. I mean, especially, you know, in reference to this article about the winter coming is that, yeah, you, you make all these lofty claims and you claim it can do all these things and people are waiting and they continue to wait. And then all of a sudden it never materializes and you've lost trust because of that. It is next time Watson does something great. Are people going to be like, oh, that's great. AI is evolving. Or are they going to be like, yeah, there's another smoke and mirrors. But winter is coming. We know what's coming with it. We can't face it alone. <laughs> that took me off guard. I know. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. No. Yeah. I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, and, and I'm not, you know, implying that Einstein doesn't have any capabilities and it's not useful. I think it's probably really useful. And I bet it, I, again, I, I th you know, my theory is, is that it's mainly just statistics and, and word counting. You know, and that's and and but it's, it's counting numbers it's and things, and, and it's got it's probably doing, um, you know, multivariable kind of experiments and regressions and t tests and f tests and all these kind of things to determine what statistically, like by the data, like you should do. And I'm I'm sure it's doing those things. That's just not it's not machine learning. It's at least that's not, and it's not certainly. I haven't seen anything that like approaches artificial intelligence. Yeah. But man, we just, we throw that word out. I say, I, I'm saying we generously, I don't want to point any particular people out, but you know, the term AI, like, like that's what we're doing. And it's just, right. it's just not. <laughs> we're all just hopeful. We're, we're all lying to ourselves. We want to say this is, this is intelligence, but it's not. Yeah. See, we're lying to ourselves again. Right. I know. Well, speaking of lying, uh, <laughs> I have to bring this up. The, uh, that article that, uh, who, who posted it? I think it was, uh, on the the exams being posted and oh the the the, the guy that, was that wrote Peter to sell, I don't know someone you talking about the guy that he he I guess he wrote a blog post he's like you know, he's gonna well, be so his title of his post is join me in reporting all exam dumps to Salesforce's legal team yeah and they're gonna go what sue people uh, that are in other countries that have no that have no legal treaties with us and all that stuff I mean it's, well, I don't know about this that is stupid. but this is stupid is it stupid it's absolutely stupid. I, I don't know. I think that I I it's, agree it's with that. It's stupid because it's it's um it's it's not. It won't be fruitful. I'm trying to think of the word. It's it's not hopeless. But well, kind of hopeless. Like again, I it's I don't see it that way. What What are you going to do? How you, you what you, again? What are you going to do? They they can't even stop movies from being pirated and distributed. You know, a million times over with before they're even released. And and those are you know forty gigabytes. I mean, how are you going to keep a, some a couple of kilobytes of text? It's just going to be everywhere. It's not going to go anywhere. Mm. 
you can't stop it. I mean, yeah, if there was some company in the United States that, that was their business of putting these things up, yes, you could sue them, right? That's, true, that's easy. I, we have we have a process for that. We have jurisdiction for that, you know. But So the way I see it is I, I think it creates awareness around the issue that, yes, there are ways to get these exam questions. There are ways to get these but, answers. But the truth is, is that if people, everybody uses those exam dumps. Everybody goes and tries to oh, find everybody. Yes, they do. They go trying to find. You know, you've you've done your studying, but you want to you want to see how you're doing, and so you go find. You know, you just Google like a Salesforce developer questions or whatever the test is, questions and answers or something, and you just. I mean, you don't know whether they're accurate or not. You don't know what the quality of them is. I mean. The ones I've seen, I think half of them people are trying to do them from memory, and and I've seen some of them that are just incredibly wrong. So it's it's uh, definitely a you know buyer beware situation. But well, I mean, you're you're talking about someone who's who's trying to look for the questions in order to prepare themselves and to, to get better at studying. So I mean, uh, that's I'm just saying that people, lots of people who are probably virtue signaling about this right now, I, I have consumed these exam dumps before. <laughs> We're in an era of virtue signaling. I mean, literally every company is doing it now. Well, I, I mean, I, I can at least agree with the sentiment that that the fact that these exist, the fact that so many people are, are out there using them, that so many companies, or I'm not going to say companies, but so many large groups of individuals are perpetuating this, it does devalue a certification that... No, it didn't. It didn't devalue it. It makes people realize what the value is. No, it doesn't. It, it Yes. It, it, it's It's... Taking some of the, I mean, I know what the, you're it's, it's to rubbing say. some of the lipstick off that pig. I know what you're trying to say. But I don't think it's, it does. it's just it's it's shedding some light on on this subject that that needs the disinfecting power of, of sunlight. I mean, I, I think there are people out there who are legitimately trying to improve themselves, legitimately trying to learn, and legitimately trying to demonstrate that I've got this certification and I got it through hard work. And for someone else to kind of come in and just sweep them under and say, "I got thirty certifications and I did it all by looking up a bunch of exams in in a day," yeah. That, that's somewhat devaluing. Yeah, I mean, although, I mean, I, I do have to say, in defending some of these exams, I, I believe that some of them <clears throat> are difficult enough that you can't, you can't get by on that. You're not going to pass these exams by reading exam dumps. I think it's, yeah. it's you, have, you actually have to know some material, and you have to be able to, like, you know, the ones that you have to actually complete things, complete actions and exercises, or build something. You know, they're not all just easy, you know, you memorize it, you know, 20 questions. It's... Yeah, so that's that actually leading yeah. up to what I wanted to, to kind of talk about and bringing this up is that we know this is a flawed process. We know these certifications are flawed and the, and the way they're conducted are flawed. What is a good way to solve that problem? How do you do this? I mean, well, we you have, can't. You're, you're, you're trying to piss up a tree here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's, certifications are, are only so valuable, which is to say they're not very valuable. For their supposed purpose. They're in a lot of spaces, and I, I would say like other technology spaces, uh, certifications are usually used for people who are just getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a way for them to like, they don't have any job experience. Maybe they've just graduated with well, I don't know about that. Somebody, I mean, hang on, let me finish when, my statement. Okay. Um, they've just kind of finished. And, and I, I can tell you like in the Java space, that's what I saw. I mean, 90% of the cert- certification used for people getting them was people that just like, they were trying to get started in a career. They had no job experience, but they had, you know, studied Java in college or something, and, and so they went and got the certification. Um, and at least it's something. It's like, hey, I was able to pass the certification. Is it was the exam like the most best designed thing ever? And it it absolutely proves that I'm skilled and experienced and I can build systems reliably. No, not at all. But it's something. 
And that's one of the best defenses of, of Salesforce's program that I've seen too, is it's just, it's something, you know, for people yeah. who are trying to get started, trying to maybe trying to break into the, the industry or something like that. It's, it's something to prove that they're not an absolute dum-dum. And I think we're on the same page on that. Cause, cause what I was going to say is, I mean, back in the day with Microsoft and their certification program, everyone was supposed to have it. Everyone was being forced to get it. Everyone was, it had to be on your resume or which, you were no, but you weren't getting get, get Which also devalues, just waters it down. Yeah. If, if, if everyone has, if everyone can get it, then it's like, I don't know, I guess it's like, for example, um, in Texas is one of these states where anyone who cuts hair has to have a license. And so because everyone has to have the license, it's almost meaningless. Like I've never, the girl that cuts my hair, I've literally never asked her, hey, can you, can I see your certification? I just want to make sure you're certified. Like, I don't care. Like that is, it's such a low bar. There are so many people with that certification that shouldn't be cutting hair that mm -hmm. are horrible. That shows yeah. you the value of, the, of that certification. It's just not valuable. Other than to say, is this, you know, is this person going to like cut my ear off? Have they been, have they had some basic scissor training so they don't like damage me? Okay, probably so. But, uh, but other than that, I mean, are they good at what they do? Do they keep up with you know, styles and trends and techniques and everything. I mean, who knows? That, that certification doesn't tell you that. Are you going to like your haircut? I mean, is it worth the money you're going to pay? That's when people have to. They need to go on their on their reputation, right? And their their the word of mouth and all that kind of stuff. That's how things should work. That's why we have LinkedIn and resumes and people do reference checks and things. I mean, that's mm -hmm. certifications. It's it's only so valuable, which is to say, probably not real valuable. Now some of them are hard. I, I'm not, and I'm not. I'm not sitting here like trying to. I'm not trying to devalue certifications that people have. Some of these certifications are hard, and I, you know, I probably couldn't pass any of them. Uh, at least not right now. I'd have to like go study. <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to go read the exam dumps first, like everyone else did. Um, some of them are hard though, and you know, you can't just, you know, read, um, you know, do a couple trailheads and go pass the test. It's 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 more than that. It's harder than that. So do you say a person's their most valuable in terms of a certification, like right after they pass it, because after that their knowledge starts to... I don't know. I mean, I've heard people, and I won't name any names, but I, I, I've heard people say, especially some of the people that have a lot of certifications, that, the, that they've, I don't want to say fallen victim to that, um, they have experienced that, where they they study up to get a certification. They, they Maybe they even failed a couple of times, but they finally mm -hmm. pass it, and they don't use any of that material, so they pretty much, like, it, it's like cramming for a test. You, it's, you're using the brain cells in the wrong way, like it's not the right process for long-term yeah. memory storage. I kind of I feel that way a lot, and I, I wanted to bring that point up as well because I I look at some of the stuff my kids doing in school, and I'm like I kind of remember doing that. I remember having to do that. I remember having to know that particular fact. I could not tell you what it is today. Yeah. I couldn't tell you some historical date or something that my daughter is having to learn right now, or some some math algorithm or something that I'm supposed to supposed to know. And I'm like I don't remember how to do yeah. that because I don't use this. I don't do it every day. Um, and I feel that, that that happens. Like when you get to a certain point and you've done all this work and you've gotten the certification, it doesn't stop there. Your education doesn't stop there. I mean, the fact that I can write a hello world doesn't doesn't mean I'm I'm done. I, I need to stop learning how to program because I already know everything. Yeah. And and the really valuable stuff that you learn you learn through experience, through building things, through actual work. You know, just on the job stuff. Again, and and even the hard certifications. I mean, the certification is either. It's either to prove that you learned the baseline, or it's or it's kind of a recognition. Like, well, think of like the the, the technical architect one, right? This mm -hmm. that's one that's I don't even know if you can study for that. I mean, you may be able to kind of, but it's really more of a recognition of all of your knowledge and experience and your wisdom that you've built, not through studying for tests, 
but through building real stuff. Yeah. And that's why some of these I feel like are a little different. They're not your MCSC or your Java, whatever the Java one is, or those are, you know, these, these ones that everyone, pretty much everyone can get and they're super entry level and, you know, there, there's some that are different with Salesforce, but I mean, it really devalues, I think, the certifications when you've got guys who have like 18 or 20 of them. It's like, or, or, or the stories where like they, they got um, six or seven certifications in a week and they hadn't, and before that week started, they hadn't even studied anything or that, and, and they fully admit they don't have any experience in the areas of the, the test, you know, that the, or, or the back when the developer exam was not really developer exam. It was like, I passed the developer exam. I'm not it's even still a developer. Not, it's still not. Then the, <laughs> the new one that that transitioned to, it's still not a developer exam. Mm. It's, well, yes, it is. It's a citizen developer exam. We we have to forget. We have to use Salesforce's redefinition of of terms, not the actual, you know, well known definition of terms. Yeah. Well, that was uh, an well, un- that was an unintended to, to, diversion. To report the fraud, but uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it's just it's just it's pointless. It will it will get nothing done. It will achieve nothing. It will make the certifications no more or less valuable, and that information will be no more or less available than it is now. Into that, I say. Yeah, <laughs> and and didn't I mean, didn't didn't the I don't remember who this was, but didn't the person whoever wrote you know started this whatever they they didn't get a response from Salesforce's legal they sent them something in and they just got no response. It's like yeah, I mean look at how many, I mean arguably the, these exam dumps help Salesforce sell more certificate more exam fees, because more people are have the confidence and willingness to take the exam. <laughs> so it's probably not in Salesforce's interest in, in some, for, from some perspectives, to for them to even close these exams. But in other perspectives, they're advertising that. I mean, hire someone who has a certification, so you know they at least know what they're doing. Because some of the exam dumps are look really accurate, and it's like, well, how do they even get this? And so, you know, who's to say Salesforce isn't seeding some of these exam dumps? We, you don't know. I mean, again, there's, there's, it potentially could benefit Salesforce for those to be out there. Um, Speaking of LinkedIn, yeah, we have some I LinkedIn got invited ones. to some weird site, <laughs> and I wanted your opinion. I, I, on I it. suggest enabling the, your um, your proxy server before you go to this weird <laughs> site, John. <laughs> I wanted your opinion on it. Okay, your honest opinion, because I, I kind of want to do it, but the other time, was, the other part of me is like, I'm a very private person. I don't think I want to do this. Uh, it's a site called Doc.io. So Doc.io. And, and so, so its big thing is it uses blockchain, first of all. So it's, it's using blockchain, so that's the big buzzword for, for it. But what it's trying to do is be the central repository for all your profile information. And so as you access other sites that are partnered with it, it shares that information with them, and you have full control over what, you can, what they can see and what they can't see and all those kind of things as a way to get around the fact that places like Google and Amazon have all these proprietary data stores of your data, and you cannot do anything with it. You can't restrict or remove access to it. Um, so, anyways, I, I, th- I think some recruiter <laughs> invited me to it from from LinkedIn. No, like they blasted well, their whole definitely don't they, do it. They then. blasted their whole LinkedIn network. But I thought the technology was kind of intriguing. It's kind of like a what was that gravatar where like your 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 it had it was kind of like that. You had your your picture and a little bit of your base profile information that would get shared, and you wouldn't have to do all that form sign up stuff. Don't don't click on anything that a contingency slash third party recruiter sends you. Well, I didn't click Ever. on it. I saw the the technology okay. and went to the technology site directly. So okay. yes, I'm with right. you on that. Okay. So I don't know. What do you think? Turn about your that? proxy server on. Open up uh, incognito mode, and then. But do you think it's safer? And then take a shower after you're done. 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> I'm gonna huddle in a corner. But um, do you think it's safer to have one central repository like this, where you control that, or you, in theory, have more control over that data, or do you think it's better just to sign up and and because I mean, you talked about that single sign-on stuff, where you just if they give you the option to create your own account, you create your own account. Yeah, I always create my own account. Yeah. I really see this as a leak. I mean, they, they try to portray it as this way to kind of centralize your data and have more control over your data. But I'm like, really? Because that's, the, that's sign- actually what I don't want. Yeah. That's- <laughs> it seems backwards. Like they try to make it sound like it's it's increasing your privacy. But to me, it, it's going backwards and decreasing your privacy. Of course. Because it's actually collecting more information, just your profile information. It's collecting, you know, a, a bunch of a bunch more information yeah. from, from what I read on how it works. So I don't know. <clears throat> so your advice is uh, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> well, John, um, I guess SAP had a uh, an earnings release recently, and you know they're I don't know some headlines came out of it. One, they're they're selling a, a, a lot of cloud, just like Oracle is nowadays. Supposedly, I think they said they hit like no, a, cl- a billion dollars. Oracle, in, Oracle uh, recently had to scale back their cloud sale numbers, didn't they? I don't know, but. Um, Anyway, uh, you know, SAP says they're doing like a, I think a billion dollars a quarter in cloud or something like that. So, yeah, that's nice. Not bad, I guess. Um, but the, I think the 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 news that caught my attention was, uh, do you remember when? So it reminded me, and I don't have any clips. I wish I did. I, I'm sure there's some gems in in there in their uh, conference call. But do you remember the the conference call? Uh, there was one in particular where, I mean, just the whole thing. It was, um, it surely was Benioff. It was probably. Um, Mark Hawkins or his predecessor. Um, and then I'm not sure if Ken Block was around at the time or not, but you keep saying Ken, it's Keith. And <laughs> <laughs> it's Ken. It's Keith. Ken Block. Look up Ken Block. Okay. Look Keith up, Block. Look up Ken Block. Uh, okay. Your kids will like him. Rally driver? Yeah. And he's, he, he, you know, he partners with, he's sponsored by like, um, monster. Yeah. Monster and some of these other, whatever, like exports or whatever, were just like adventure type brands, but they, they make these, um, he's done like a, probably 10 or a dozen of these really well-produced videos where like the one of them uh, that was my favorite was they, it's like they, it looks like they shut down San Francisco somehow or another. I don't know how, but he, you know, rides his, his rice burner into, uh, into San Francisco, and it's just like say that, Jeremy. Is that racist too? It's all racist, I know. Um, but no, he's like, and he does all his just his stunts, and he's jumping things and peeling out and doing all. You know, he's like, and he's got one. He's got one of the little brakes that he can just control his peel Those out three wheeler brakes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, so you can, it's like, so you can do your drifting. It's like an adult <laughs> trike. Is that what they were called? The yeah, they're tricycles. Yeah. Anyway, um, no, they're big wheels. A big wheel. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, trikes are not the same thing. No. No, you can't drift on a trike. You can only drift on a big wheel. Yeah. And you know, no, no, back to the the what I was where I was going with that is they on this conference call they just could not stop talking about Oracle and SAP. And I actually put that that you know that clip together mm-hmm. of them just saying nothing but Oracle and SAP over and over and over. And the clip lasted like three and a half minutes of just <laughs> them saying Oracle and SAP. I think I remember that. <laughs> see if I I'll see if I can find that. But anyway, now we have the reverse. And on this conference call, the SAP CEO, whose name is Bill McDermott, could not stop talking about Salesforce. Mainly that uh, they're, they've discovered, I think, here's my interpretation, that they have lost ground on CRM. It's, 
as if they have, if it, maybe they don't pay attention to the Gartner Magic Quadrants. Maybe they haven't been paying their subscription. That's oh, what it is. What it is. So they haven't seen like for the past five years that Salesforce has been uh, in first place on the quadrant for CRM and SAP is I think is number two actually. But uh, anyway, so they SAP is preparing to launch a new cloud CRM at its upcoming Sapphire event in a bid to overtake the current market leader Salesforce. Uh, so this is a quote from McDermott. So-called cloud CRM is nothing more than overpriced software running on first-generation SaaS architecture. This is probably why we have so many, uh, so many have responded so eagerly to SAP's recent statement about a new vision for CRM. They know change is coming. We are coming. Wow. I know. Yeah, people love change. <laughs> I know. They love uplifting their entire yeah. system and business process yes, and do it all over as Again, spending hundreds of thousands. No, of dollars no, I was going to say that doesn't on, sound expensive at all. On, on consultants, <laughs> yeah, no, they just love it. They love change. Yeah, uh, he says basically we're going to rebrand. It's just a rebranding. <laughs> basically, we're going to rebrand the whole CRM category. Like, hey, Salesforce does it. I know exactly. We'll rebrand it and call it new. Exactly. I mean, it seems to be working for Salesforce. <laughs> it's going to be a massive movement at Sapphire, and we're going to show every customer that they can be a best-run business by running SAP. And no longer do they have to be relegated to an outdated sales platform with complex integration layers trying to get that data out of the CRM, out of the ERP system. So in that's other words, a, that's it's really dig. hard to get to integrate with SAP. So just just none use of our no. CRM. Integration's hard. And if you if you're working with a system that isn't a full ERP system, it's only like say a CRM and a marketing system, you're gonna have to do a lot of integration. <clears throat> MuleSoft, right? And with SAP, because they are HCM, ERP, financials, CRM, marketing, commerce, all that. They have it all. You don't have to do integration, which, of course, is... That's a lie. It's not true. You might have to do as much integration. No. But, but no, but that's, that's going to be... That's, that's, what system is best to breed on everything, on all those fronts? No, no one is. No one? Yeah. So you're but, still going to have to do integrations? Well, no. Or you just have to live with the fact that you're not going to get S- best to breed with everything. Oh, so you turn into an SAP fanboy. No, no, no. I'm saying, well, I've said about it. I mean, what's Salesforce best of breed on? Like, that, no, I'm just saying, that's you, not, you have to be a brand fanatic to go, I'm, this is my brand. I'm doing the, I'm, I'm an Apple guy, so I use nothing but Apple. Yeah, no like, Android. like if you wanted best of breed CRM, like the best experience for a salespeople, you'd probably go with like, uh, like Pipedrive or one of these other things. It's not, it's not Salesforce. Salesforce is not your best of breed CRM, but that's not their value. Their value is, is the platform and the integration between the various pieces. To me, that's what it is. I, I just saw that they, they tried to make a plus out of a slight to me. Uh, yeah, it could be. But I think you're going to see more of these competitors digging at Salesforce simply because they bought MuleSoft. Well, they're in security that, That's going to show at, yeah, that's what, exactly. <laughs> well, no, I think that's, I think Salesforce buying Mule, did that. Per, perhaps Salesforce buying MuleSoft was showing their insecurity. They're, they're worried about the fact that if you're going to run Salesforce for CRM and marketing and support, maybe too, right? Throw, throw everything in there, that you're still going to have to do integrations between your financial system, your, uh, your HR system, your your ERP system, and so well, crap. We better we better buy something so that we can have a better story about having an integrated platform. You know, so you know, I, I, this is predictable that mm-hmm. we that we're seeing this, and I think sure. we'll, we'll see more of this. Uh, there was a time when a market leader was dominating in CRM. It was said that they couldn't be disrupted. Well, let's be clear once again: we want CRM. That's what he said. <laughs> Who's saying we want CRM? Bill McDermott. But he's saying- no, I'm sorry, Bob McDermott. Oh, he's saying that as. <laughs> As a company, they want to own CRM. They yeah, he wants it. They're not going to just sit there and let Salesforce run away with CRM anymore. Yeah. We're coming after you. 
Don't they have enough money to buy Salesforce? Oh, probably. <laughs> they probably just haven't wanted to. I mean, SAP is pretty big, right? I don't know if they could still buy Salesforce, but I mean, for maybe they could. But certainly in the past, they could have made offers, and maybe offers were made. We have we don't know. Can't prove a negative, John. <laughs> um. Okay. So I'm. In, I'm. I think I'm going to get in story mode here. I do have. Let's talk about Apple first. I, I had that lower on my list. I don't know why, but yesterday I just and and I I don't follow this stuff really closely. Although I probably should because Apple is the one company that I actually own direct stock in. And for me, quite a bit. Like it's actually it's probably too large of a percentage of my portfolio. Apple are, they stock. Ba- are they about to buy it back from you? They are buying a lot of stock back, which is the reverse of what Salesforce always does. Where Salesforce is always diluting their shareholders, and Apple is the what's the opposite of diluting? Concentrating, enriching. enriching. <laughs> Apple is, and they've been at this for a while now. I mean, they they just announced. Well, let me back up a little bit. So yesterday, I saw uh, I mean, there was a lot of article, and there actually this kind of been this this lead up of of um, there's been a lot of anxiety about Apple. People are really concerned that. Their iPhone numbers are going to be really flat. There's a lot of speculation that iPhone 10 is just not sold well, and that a lot of these other markets that were supposed to be providing them some growth just aren't coming through. China being one of them. And so, to, I guess it was was it today or end of day yesterday? I don't even know. Actually, I think it was so yesterday. I've been so out of it. But I came in this morning. I'm, I'm I'm seeing the news, and I'm you know I'm looking at my little you know Yahoo Finance thing that's showing me that Apple is like way up, and I'm like, oh, what's going on here? And they just, you know, they had a good quarter. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't super amazing, but it was. But it pr- it proved all that concern was really not was not true at all. Um, mod- moderate growth in in iPhones, whatever. But yeah, you know, I just, I just, and I won't go into all that. But I did, I did love picking out just these little nuggets, little nugatories, mm-hmm. as I like to call them, <laughs> little pellets. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of them is um, their Apple's Apple's profit. Is one billion dollars a week, like net profit. They net profit one billion dollars a week. Wow. <laughs> no. Um, but no, they're, so they're back to the enriching their share, shareholders. They've already done several, you know, like ten, twenty billion dollar stock buybacks, and that's basically like mm-hmm. they're buying stock back and they're they're reducing. When they do that, they reduce the number of outstanding shares, and so. But but the, I mean, you have to think of it as a fraction the. They reduce the number of outstanding shares, like the numerator, but the denominator, which is their the value of Apple, stays the same. It doesn't stop reducing it really. And so, you, as as a shareholder, you have your piece of the pie is getting is getting bigger. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like if you know if, if there were if someone divided a pie up into four pieces, and the, the guy who had the fourth piece said, "I don't really don't want it." You guys split split it amongst three. That's okay. You just got more pie. So that that's what. But they now say a one hundred billion dollar stock buyback, which is I think like by far the biggest that's ever happened, at least in the United States. I mean, in history, I think by by a factor of I think three or four times bigger than any of this ever. And that's on top of all their existing stock buybacks they've been doing for the past year or so. And a lot of it's because they've been bringing so much of their cash back because of the tax treatment changes as of the last legislative action that changed some of our th- oh, okay. some tax yeah. cuts and some things for for corporate tax. Um, they have two hundred fifty billion dollars in cash. Again, try to. Try to imagine how much money that is. It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. <laughs> um, yeah, biggest. They just had their biggest dividend ever. Ever. They're doing fifteen billion a year in annual dividends. So, in addition to enriching their shareholders by increasing the size of their their slice of the pie, they're also just you know. I mean, I get dividend these dividend checks from Apple. 
and there's they're just for being a shareholder out there writing your checks. That's one of the one of the that's one thing that makes a stock, a stock a part of its value. Does the company mm-hmm. pay dividends? If they do, then it's going to make the it's going to make the stock price actually higher because that's that's kind of built into the stock price. But no, I noticed they were they closed up like five percent today, and they were even up higher after hours. So it was definitely an, I don't know, just a, a big kind of unexpected lot of positive news. Um, their wearables was a big positive. Um, they are the wearables is a ten billion dollar a year business for them now, wow. which is again the size of a Salesforce basically just in in watches and Beats headphones. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of headphones. Well, they also have their their uh, AirPods. Um, yeah, Air, I think Air, I think AirPods is actually considered a wearable. How did you know that? Did you read this? Did you read my article? Are you, no. s- you snooping on me? <laughs> uh, by comparison, my Fitbit is a one and a half billion dollar company. Apple is, but it's probably Apple's the only wearables one is able billion. to compare it to compete with them at this point. What's that? I think it's the only one that's even able to compete with right. them on wearables yeah. right now. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I mean, Fitbit is, I mean, Apple Watch is this premium, multifunctional, expensive thing. And I think Fitbit still has a, they still dominate that market of kind of purpose. Uh, what do you call it? It's like single purpose feature. Well, they're like getting a, more into the smartwatch and they're, they're, I know, they're yeah. going to. I th- they have to, right? Well, they, they have to yeah. because Apple's not catering to the Android market. So and, somebody's got to cater to all these non-iPhone users. What is Fitbit doing for their OS for those is it Android? I don't remember. Because remember. how can you how can you come up with your with a non iOS non Android smartwatch? You could do what Microsoft did and just fork Linux. Well, look at my, what Microsoft <laughs> did for with their remember their mobile OS. They're like, hey, we're going to try to I run mobile OS, and and by a lot of accounts, it was a quite nice OS. And I remember running into a guy at a bar, and he was showing me this is you know I don't know how many years ago, five years ago, more than that. And he had, was it, was it Nokia? There was a couple of models of Nokias, I think. I can't remember. That, mm-hmm. that had the, um, the new Windows phone OS. Remember it was like Windows OS phone OS mobile or something? It just was some ridiculous name. Yeah. <laughs> but it looked, I remember thinking, wow, that actually looked, I don't know how well it, I don't know, when, the, when the rubber meets the road, how good of a, how well this works and how good the apps are and how well it integrates and all that. But I mean, it looks great. And I actually wish... In a way, there's part of me that wishes that Microsoft would take another shot at the mobile OS business because I think they, I think it would be different now. But the problem is, is I, I think I worry about is like iOS and Android are even further mature, developed. And do we need a third party, a third one for this? Like to say, for the sake of competition, is is two and are two enough to say, hey, we're we're that's a competitive market. Mm-hmm. Because I can tell you, like with certain things, like uh, internet providers, insurance carriers, two is not enough for a competitive yeah. market because they can figure out how to fix the market basically between the two. Well, I think it's it, two might be enough considering that one of those works on multiple devices. It's not proprietary to the hardware, so I, I think it wouldn't be bad to have a Microsoft providing software, maybe not necessarily hardware, because I think that's where, where they kind of failed was was trying to offer the hardware part of it. Nobody wanted a Windows hardware phone. I thought it was like Nokia that was doing hardware. Some other well, yeah, I mean, but they bought Nokia. Oh, that's true. Did they? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then they yeah. slowly killed it. Yeah. Fired everyone. There you go. Thank you. 
Well, since that probably was a very but did you hear that, that the, very obvious off off mic talking, I'll just I'll real quickly introduce. So t- today, this episode is being brought to you by Mosaic Dream, a six percent India Pale Ale, and by Mellow Tone and Juice, an eight and a half percent Imperia Imperial India Pale Ale IPA. Yeah, this one's. Oh no, yeah, and this one, the second one, is a actually is a collab of other half and Rigs of Dad, which is a brewery I've never heard of. Hmm. <laughs> Look at this. This is like this robot, and like going into it is row gain, and going out of it is high gain. <laughs> I don't even understand that. Uh, anyway, um, row rhymes with low. Yeah. Apple's also doing ten billion in services. So I guess that's app, the App Store, Music, iCloud, and probably Apple Pay. I guess ten billion. That's a ten billion dollar business. And it's probably God. I wonder how much of that's profit. I don't know. Anyway, they have like two hundred seventy million paid subscribers to, I guess, music and. I, I do iCloud. like their music service. I do. That's that's the one I use. I mean, I, I don't know. If I wasn't, if I wasn't pretty well bought into the Apple ecosystem, I'd probably use like. Something else, Spotify or something, but Apple Music's I, fine. I actually tried and paid for Spotify and a few other services, and I just did not like the selection. Actually, you know, Apple Music early on, I I think I had some issues with too. And then after a while, after trying out these other services, which is why I tried out the other services, I ended up coming back. And I think that was right around the time when they kind of expanded the whole music library and the catalog and the way you can share that that with your family. I think that's what really did it for me. Hmm. Yeah, I think we're on the, the sharing thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's much cheaper. It is. Yeah. And especially for a family where everyone listens to different things yep. and you don't technically buy anything. You're not really, you don't have to. I mean, you could, but you can just, you're, you're part of this sharing plan and there's a song and it's available on this network. So you just click play. You're not actually having to buy it. So when my kids want to listen to something, I'm not spending tons of money on music that they're going to throw away in a few, few weeks because they're tired of it. Yeah. Well, this is actually a good segue into one of my other things I want to talk about, which is kind of more of a story-based thing. Kind of news, but it's not really news anymore. But it's like Crash Plan is going away. And they announced this about a year ago. Well, their, their consumer service, their home plan. Yeah, I think you mentioned that before, yeah. And so we've been on their family plan. I just looked, and I've been a customer since, I think it was 2010. So we've been on their family plan since 2010. And I think it's, and it's, it's probably part of the reason why they're exiting this business. I think we pay five bucks a month huh. for a family plan. And that, that lets you... That lets you back up, I think, up to five devices. Now, we only do two. two, two my computer, my wife's computer. But uh, there's some things about CrashBand that are really good. One of them is that it's just a really high-quality solution. Mm-hmm. Um, they do. It does, like, block-level uh, block level backup. So, like, for example, if you've got a giant file, let's say a SQL, you've got some SQL log file that's, you know, 50 gig, and, like, a little part of it gets changed, mm-hmm. it'll just back up that little... that that. It, you know, it breaks things up into certain size blocks, and it'll just, it can just back up that one block. It's really smart about that, and it and it does it ties in the OS and gets file system notification changes, so it doesn't have to do like dumb scans of your entire file system to see what files have been modified. Which is not even actually a reliable because that's just metadata, and actually mm-hmm. if programs can change those to be whatever they want. Right. So, um, and they're the the so yeah, so that works really well. It just works well. It just works really well. It's super. It's Turns out it's more customizable than almost all the other solutions in terms of like what you're actually backing up. So you can, like for example, there's a, is it Backblaze is the one that it is defaults to backing up everything, and you have to tell it what you don't want it to back up. Well, in the cases of like, you know, I've heard stories where people are like, yeah, I just want to back up these two directories, but I have to literally go through and block everything else if you want. It's a, it's an opt out, not an opt in type of thing. Uh-huh. But you know, yeah, I mean, CrashPlan just has so many, arguably too many 
the options. It's just, it's very customizable and it just runs well. It's smart. You know, you can give it your own encryption key so that, you know, you've got ultimate security. And the restore is really nice too. You can write there. It's got a, a native app that runs and you can choose to restore a file. You can choose to restore a tree of files, a whole drive. You know, it's very flexible and it just, it'll just pull stuff down and restore that. Um, it, it, it handles, um, Deleted files, so it keeps. If you delete something off your hard drive, it still keeps it. It keeps versions of files. So if you change, you know, if you're if you're editing a file over and over, it just keeps backing up version after version after version. And if you lose it, or if you or if you realize that you need to go back three versions because you just hosed, like say you hose up file completely. Well, CrashPlan is going to back up that latest version, which is the hosed up one. But it also has been keeping all the previous versions of that file. So that's a, that's actually a critical aspect of a of a good backup solution. Mm-hmm. So it does all these things. It does them pretty damn well. And we've been on this family plan, which in addition, one thing that it does is that you can plug a hard drive, a USB or FireWire hard drive or whatever in, and it'll back that thing up. You can mount, when I'm at home, my computer automatically mounts my Synology over the network, and it backs my Synology up over the Now, I only have it backing up certain things. So like we have a lot of family photos and videos and all kinds of crap that's on that Synology that I have it back up over the network. So it's backing, I, I mount, my computer mounts that Synology mm-hmm. and it, it's backing that up. So the, and, I'm, and the reason I'm pointing these certain features out because these are all things that every other solution out there fails at some or, or at least some of these things it just doesn't do them well. And so I'm just like, I'm trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do. I have some options. So I, currently we're on the family plan or the home plan, whatever they call it. And it's like five bucks a month. You can do up to five devices. And again, those devices can have <laughs> basically unlimited devices plugged into them. Hard drives, network drives, whatever. And my options are to just stop mm-hmm. altogether. Or I can switch to their business plan, which is $10 a month per device. So I'm, I'd be going from basically $60 a year to, if I want to keep backing up these two computers, 240 a year. So or you can just four back X, everything up to your Synology and just back up that four X increase. Um, yeah, so I could do, for example, for like for our other machine, we could time machine it to the Synology, mm-hmm. and I could back that. That's a, that's a possibility. But there's there's something I like about the fact that with both of our computers, as we do as we work on it, it's just in real time. It's sending that stuff to those latest versions of everything to the cloud. Sure, it's kind of nice. Yeah. But there's also thing, nice things about a time machine. I mean, if you're Let's say your hard drive just completely blows out. You got to put a brand new, fresh hard drive in, nothing on it, right? You can, I mean, these Macs nowadays, they can, they'll download the OS over the, over the internet, mm-hmm. install the OS, and then it connects to the Time Machine and restores your backup onto it. And that's pretty awesome. And it actually works fairly well now. Yeah. <clears throat> Part you, of me wonders, you know, because as you were talking, I was like, well, what are you backing up? Because, I mean, these days, and I wonder if it's just because of our generation where we probably do feel like the need to do this more than, than say, the younger generation. I don't see my kids ever wanting to fully back up all their system and files. Everything they do is attached to a cloud service. Everything they do is attached to Apple's cloud or Instagram or Facebook or what what have you. I mean, I wonder if this younger generation even has a concept of backing so up a lot of people systems. have... You know, I would say approaching the terabyte range of like family photos and videos. And those are things that the problem with that is it's cost prohibitive to put them on something like iCloud or one of these other things. Hmm. So they just keep them local. They just keep them on a local system, like a, a just a, a box of drives or a Synology or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, for a lot of this, 
I'm probably, you know, out there on the bell curve in terms of my needs. They're probably more than, I mean, I know people who have way even more intense needs than I do, but I'm, I'm probably not in the, in the main part. Mm-hmm. I'm not in the first or second segment. I'm probably off in the sixth sigma. <laughs> <laughs> A little stats joke there for you, but yeah. So I, I was looking at my options. So yeah, I can go to the business thing, which I'm considering doing. I mean, again, Instead of five bucks a month, it's basically 20, 20 bucks. Yeah, twenty bucks a month. But I mean, it seems like a service that you like. I it mean, is. It, I know, and I'm, I'm definitely considering that. It's just, it's, it's something about it burns me that I'm going to pay, be paying f- exactly four times more for the exact same service. Yeah, but I mean, think about trying to find a new service, trying to get it to I do know. the things you want to do, and either work around its deficiencies or augment it with another system, and what your time is worth. And the other thing is, like, I've already got. I think, and I've got. I think I've got a t- couple of terabytes. Inside in CrashBite at this point, mm-hmm. and imagine me having to start over with another provider. Do you know how long it takes to upload two terabytes? I think it took well, me. You wouldn't months. be able to extract all your version history, would you? No, you'd lose. I'd lose yeah. that. I'd lose so version history. Yeah, but also just getting switching to a new provider and uploading two terabytes to their cloud on. You know, I don't know. I guess internet's gotten better probably since the last time I did it, but that takes a long time to even get your backup into their cloud. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a problem, but um, yeah. This, so there's Backblaze that they're they're five dollars a year per device. It's supposedly unlimited, and they and they'll do, and they've got supposedly a pretty decent client. It's, it's Mac support is good. It supports multiple versions, good encryption. Um, I think deletes for, I think thirty days, but um, they support. Uh, you can plug an external device in, like a uh, like a USB hard drive or whatever, but it will not do NAS. Like, uh, like mounted mm-hmm. NAS machines or anything over the network. I won't back those up. And they say, I looked at their website, they said, the reason for this is not technical, but it's a business decision. Backing up mounted or network drives can be easily abused. So, okay. Well, yeah, you back everything up to that and then you back up that. Well, I'd rather them just like put a cap on it or just charge me like per terabyte, you know? And some of these systems do that. I'm actually looking at one, uh, what was it called? I never even heard it before, Spider Oak. And they have a plan, it's... Um, I forget now, but it's like comes with two terabytes and it's five bucks a month. And I think if you want, you can get four terabytes for like 10 bucks a month. So yeah. again, I'm, but I'm kind of back to where I am. Well, that's a, that's a good point. I, I just, I just occurred to me is that if you're going to choose a backup system and you want it to exist, you better just pay for what you need. Exactly. And, and, because otherwise, and, and if you the try truth to is, get around it, they're losing money. They're not going to be able to support you much longer. Right. And, and, and while it, 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 it does, I think it's natural that it, it would, it kind of burns to pay four times more for something that, you know, that in, in, you're getting the exact same thing. You're not getting something that's four times better or faster or more. You're just going to pay, start paying four times more for it. Well, the reality is you probably you probably were way underpaying. And if someone's losing money on you, then you're not you're not reciprocating enough yeah. for what you've been getting. <clears throat> and so maybe that's just the reality. But I'm but I'm looking at Backblaze. Um, you know, there's they have a thing actually. So they don't they want they don't let you do connected. Uh, sorry, over the network, right? Mounted stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if you like mount your your uh, sign allergy or something. But they have this thing called B2, which is basically kind of like S, their version of S3 or maybe closer to Glacier mm-hmm. storage. And it's really cheap. It's I think a half a cent a gig or something like that per month. Which like if you have two terabytes, for example, it comes out to $10 a month. But they have, um they've partnered with Synology and they actually have an app. So Synology has, I don't know if you, do you have a Synology? I can't mm-hmm. remember. No, it's one thing that's, Cool about it. Actually, their software is quite nice. It's a million times better than Drobo. I used to have a Drobo. That thing was a total piece of junk. Yeah, I remember at one point wanting to get one of those. And, oh, yeah, just, glad I didn't. They were just disappointing. 
they 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 paid a lot of people early on to say good things about them, which you know beware advertising, right? Uh-huh. Smoke and mirrors. But Synology has their software's way better, and they have tons of third parties. I mean, they, there's a Plex client you can run Plex on your Synology. So like, let's say you keep all your media on your Plex. Like, why not? Or on your Synology, why not well, just run pirated pl- media? Exactly. <laughs> Stuff that fell off the back of, tr- back of a truck. Yeah. Uh, why not just run, have Plex run on your Synology? Because it's got an Intel processor. So it's, it's actually fairly easy for, for people to port their apps to Synology. It's, I think it's a Linux-based system, but it's, it's x86-based, so you can run it. I mean, somehow or another. But, they, um, but Backblaze has a Synology app that will run on your Synology. And it will basically keep your Synology synced up with their B2, half a, half a cent a gig storage service. So that would solve that. I don't yeah. know. So I'm looking at that. Um, one downside, like if you do do the thing where you, you back up an external hard drive just that you've got plugged in, mm-hmm. uh, uh, if you don't plug that in at least once every 30 days, it's gone. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. You have to, that, it, has to, it has to see that drive at least once every 30 days. Well, then you might you better get a hub. Well, Synology, I've got things I haven't <laughs> plugged in, in in like years that's still backed up on Synology. Until I tell it I don't want that backing up anymore, it's still there. And I haven't plugged that hard drive in in years. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see, what else? There are files I wish I had from the past so, that I got rid of. Yeah. yeah. So I, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so um, CrashPlan has partnered with Carbonite. It's probably just some marketing crap, but... There, you, Crashplan has two migration plans for you. One, you can upgrade to business mm-hmm. with stay with them, or two, you can go to Carbonite. They and they actually, I think you get a you know half off of your Carbonite or something like that for the first year. And Carbonite's ten dollars per year per device, so it'd be the it'd be the same amount if I stayed with Synology. I'm sorry, if I stayed with Crashplan. Um, but they've got you know that like they have this thing where like if any file over 30 meg has to be downloaded through their website and not through the app that's one great thing about crash plan it's the app well you can just say oh i want to restore this whole tree of stuff or this one giant file it doesn't matter doesn't matter how big it is the app that runs on your machine manages doing that doing that restore and pulling that down it's a weird requirement why why do you have to go to the website yeah maybe because they don't want you to restore i don't know i honestly don't know but also their mac client doesn't support the file versioning so keeping previous versions of files backed up and it doesn't support. What else does it not support? Um, what was it? It was. I think it was either like. I think it might have been bring your own key encryption. Mm-hmm. That's the great thing about a lot of the things you can you can provide your own. That is really private cool. key, yeah. and the and the app will locally encrypt it and then send it up. And then and there's and of course the, the thing you got to watch out for is if you lose your key, you can't go to CrashBot and then say oh. I lost my key, but I, I need you guys to go ahead and get me my backup anyway. I need you to restore it for me. They, they can't. <laughs> yeah, but the nice thing is if the CIA comes knock, knocking, they, they can't get it. Exactly. Because <laughs> they have all that sensitive information you're hiding from us. Is but that where your blog is stored, by the way? <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> Not supposed to say anything, John. Now, I'm going to look at this thing, Spider Oak. I'd never heard of it, but a lot of people were, were it was ticking all the boxes in terms of like the flexibility they needed and the security. And, and it, it's not unlimited, but it's... Like the first tier is two terabytes, and I, I need to look at what I'm backing up. I may be able to fit within that. That's a lot of data. I've That's got, a lot of personal long term. Yeah, data I've, I've got. I think on my side, I've got six six terabytes. See, to me, it's like hoarding, and I I, I don't like hoarding. hoarding anything. Like, I, but if, it's so cheap. I, nowadays, I will go through my John? house. I'll, I'll periodically <laughs> go through and start throwing stuff away. Now, there are times where I wish oh, I wish I hadn't thrown that away, but at the same time, I'm like, 
I'm, my but, life isn't over because I don't have it. But, I, but my Synology box is still this small box. I just, every once in a while, when I need more storage, I'll just pull like a four terabyte drive out of it and replace it with like an eight terabyte drive. And it, you know, it, it does all the rebuilding of the whatever it does. I just don't know if I need those bits. Those bits are not critical to my life function. But they're also not taking up space. Yeah, but I don't need them. Yeah. Well, that's just your personality <laughs> coming out. That's how you are. I know. I just, I, it's, it's, it's hard for me. I like to get rid of things. This 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 Paul, I'll probably should have been after show stuff anyway. But I, that's how I injured my my thumb my thumb just by working like basically working too much. So I've you know, I've been super busy. Oh, I, you tell me. I think your keyboard position. I hit a record. I think I worked more last month than I think I've ever worked before, which is not a good thing by any stretch. <laughs> no, and and I've just except financially. Even that, it's I don't even know if that I I don't think it'll be the most money I've ever made, which is the sad part. But anyway. um, I realized that when I, you know, to hit these command keys, I've got to, I really bend my thumbs in under, my thumbs twist in under my hand and they just stay there. And I, and that's, I think I have a, a hand injury now that, I mean, I, I didn't, I sat off my computer all weekend because of this. And when I came in Monday, it's, it's, it's still hurting. Mm-hmm. And so I've been having to re, I've been kind of retrain myself on how to type. Now I'm much slower. Yeah. I'm much slower now. I mean, I can normally type 120 words a minute now. I'm, I probably can't even do 80 right now. But I'm trying to keep my thumb straight. So when I have one, if I want to hit like Command R, I kind of have to like keep my thumb straight. But I have to, I have to shift my my elbow. So you're very that. much a person that likes to keep your hands on the home. Yes, keys. and that's the thing. I stay my hands stay on the home row. They don't move. And I've shown Sarah this too. And I'm and she was saying, well, I keep my thumb straight. And I'm like, yeah, but when your fingers are moving all up and down the keyboard when you do that to try to to keep your thumb straight. Yeah. And I don't do that. I was trained, and I you know I trained myself to. Keep my fingers on that, and that's See, that's part of why I'm such. They a trained you fast on some typer. bad habits. Well, Mavis, hey, I learned from the best. Mavis speaking, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> I I spent a lot of time with Mavis. Um, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I wanted to get better, and yeah, yeah, you know, it was the app of the day. She was your best friend, wasn't she? She John? was. <laughs> she filled she filled that hole in your life. Yeah, for a while there, she started to become my girlfriend. I was yeah. like, hey, Mavis, yeah. what's for dinner tonight? What do you want to eat? Oh yeah. <laughs> She always made me decide, though, damn it. I know, well, <laughs> some things never change, John. <laughs> but anyway, so, no, I'm, I'm, having to, I'm having to retrain myself on how to, and what's today, Wednesday, I started that Monday, and it's, it's I, every day it's getting a little better. That's but good. I feel like this is one of those things, it's a combination of working too much and age. Like, I mean, I mean I'm 40, you know, I'm going to be 41 in like Gosh, a few days. An old man. Actually, a few, and not too I long. Know. Right? I and know. It's just, By the way, Jeremy's I, birthday's coming up, everybody. <laughs> I feel Next these week. things catching up with me. I can, I cannot do things I used to be able to do. Yeah. Now, some in some ways, I've had I'm forced to work smarter, which is actually I think a net positive. I think I, I work know. I think I work more efficiently than I used to. Something to be said for just just blowing through. Well, it's quant- I, I've I've shifted my quantity versus quality yeah. of my work, but I'm kind of forced to. In some becoming ways. a craftsman. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Oh, anyway. No, I, I do I do move my fingers around a lot. I noticed that after you said that, I tried to figure out how do I use the keyboard because I, I have the same keyboard you do. And uh, I noticed I, do, I completely move my hands everywhere. They don't sit on the home row. Hmm. Yeah, and it, it really bugs me when I, when I watch people. And I even type. have some bad habits. I have fingers that cross hemispheres. Oh, yeah. 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 The only ones I, that I'm not super consistent on is I think – I think there's a couple of the number keys that are in the middle that I will hit with a different hand depending on what else is going on. Mm-hmm. 
but other than that, I'm very consistent in my, you know, when you watch me on my, my, my hands don't move at all. Whereas, you know, I watch other people and like, and they're, they're even, they're even typing correctly in that the right fingers are hitting the right keys, mm-hmm. but their hands are still moving all over the place. I'm like, what yeah, are you doing? It looks like you're, that's just the way I prefer it's to like do you're it. playing piano over here or something. It's like, <laughs> I was going to say, p- pianists do that. <laughs> Guess so. It works for them. It should work so. for us. I, but for me, I I try. I do rest my hands, and I do have a palm rest. But I try not to rest in the palm rest. I feel like ergonomically, my hands should be raised and have the ability to move around. Well, these these keyboards are horrible for ergonomics. I know that's why I want to change it. I actually want to get one because I have that palm rest, but it raises my hands too high, and that's such a low profile. Yeah. that I end up having to just stop using it after a while because. It tw- it forces me to have this unnatural position on my hands. Stop looking at my finger. Well, I mean, position. you do you do kind of walk around like that, you know. <laughs> Just throwing my gang signs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, John, uh, do we we need to get to those? What, what do we get? Do we get emails or reviews? I forget what we would push off from last week. We do have reviews that we pushed off. We do have a uh, in which we question which we should not ever push off reviews. We should read the reviews. Yeah, yeah. We got to do reviews, man. Because that's that's like the ultimate sign of, uh, you know, I think uh, of giving back. That's how that's that's a that's a way that people can easily just say thanks, you know. And so we should not we should we should always acknowledge that in a prompt fashion. I agree. Let's do and it. I apologize. And I'm 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 talking so that John can. You're vamping. Get his stuff together. <laughs> All right. So so this is this review. This was back in April. These are both back in April. <laughs> Which is a whole two days ago. But. I know, I was going to say, I, I feel like I'm saying it like it was ages ago, but it was just last month. Uh, so this one is from Kip Winger 777 uh, titled, Great Show, Really Entertaining. And he says it, or he, she, it, they, sorry. Z? Z? I don't know. Good mix of development, industry information and humor. Uh, in parentheses, dad, dev jokes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of dad jokes. Yeah, I'm a sure. lot of dad jokes. Unfortunately, we're old. I'm proud of my dad jokes. <laughs> that's that's part of dad jokes. Is I use them with pride. Yeah. <laughs> like if my kid eye rolls on me, I know I've done my job. Right. If you've embarrassed your kid in front of yeah. their friends, then yes. Well, I love doing that yeah. too. <laughs> I, I don't actually embarrass them, but I I kind of like secretly like oh, I'm gonna say this or I'm gonna do this, and, and I, I I don't know. I just love it. It's just me picking on them. Yeah. I'm an evil dad. All right. This other review. So is, that was it. That was the review. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, this review is from Nick Art Joe. And we'll we'll try to keep the dad jokes coming. <laughs> yeah. So Nick Art Joe says, one of two podcasts, two podcasts on my device. Wow. They're a podcast minimalist. Yeah, that's that's uh, saying a lot. Yeah. Uh, this one's a little bit more lengthier. Uh, actually, I think I have to look at this on the website because it's longer than the preview that I get. So one sec. All right, he says, Jeremy and John are incredibly knowledgeable and passionate oh, wow. individuals who provide valuable <laughs> insights into architecting. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not an architect. <laughs> Developing you are. and uh, delivering Salesforce solutions based on their experiences. You are what your employer bills you as. That's true. That's true. I am what I get. <laughs> that, I feel like that's a Confucius thing. You are what your employer bills you as. Okay, sorry. But I am a yeah. really good architect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, they brew beers, drink whiskey, talk deep tech on the platform, and hold a really relaxed and entertaining rapport throughout all their shows. You will learn something valuable each time, and they seem like dudes that you would want to grab a beer and hang out with. 
uh, TLDR. It's really good. Probably should have put that at the top. We haven't had much whiskey. I've been trying to cut back. On whiskey? Yeah. Just, okay. Whiskey's better for you than beer is. Yeah, but I was drinking a lot of it. Oh, that's true. We should meet I always get single barrel. <laughs> uh, you know, I walked the line of the, the, the bourbon spec for proof. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like at the top end before you can't call it bourbon. We should we should get one of those things that meters your pour and then limit it to two cork pops per episode. That'd, that'd make Chuck happy too. Oh, yeah. Plus people you're complain. Trig- you're triggering him with your people cork complain, pops. People complain. So now I'm self-conscious <laughs> about popping the cork. Uh, well, thank you. That was, thank you. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice words. Although I don't think we live up to most of those things that people are nice to say them. <laughs> By the way, uh, you also, listener, uh, Good Day Sir Army member, you, you can also leave reviews. Uh, at this time, unfortunately, we're only accepting five-star reviews. <laughs> so if you have any less. <laughs> I didn't mention what those were star-wise. I think they're both five. Yeah. Uh, so we have a question from the community. Okay. Uh, really apologize for this one because this one came back a while ago. Um, it's one that I think we're going to have to dance around quite a bit because oh. it's very subjective. Ooh. Um, so I'm going to let Jeremy say all the words, and I'm going to hide behind the fact that I asked the question. Did you, did you send me words? No. Okay. I'm putting you on the spot. I don't get it. What am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> I'm about to ask you a question oh, from okay. the community, okay. and I'm putting you on the spot, oh, and I'm going to make you answer it, okay. and I'm going to hide behind my, I asked the question so okay. I don't have to talk. Right. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so... Um, uh, okay, to use first name. So this is from Drew. He says, uh, good day, sirs. Good day. good day. Wondering if you could talk about technical solutions and process improvements you've seen implemented that have resulted in increased revenue or decreased cost for the companies that implement them. Maybe a top 10. I have to come up with 10? No, it says maybe. Oh, I, mean, I might, might be able to do one. All right, what's one? I mean, I can... So what was it? Process improvements and something else? Uh, technical solutions, process improvements that, that you have implemented that uh, you have resulted in increased revenue or decreased cost. Um, so I built a, uh, let's talk about a Salesforce thing. I built a, um, a solution that allowed, this was, wow, this was, goes back a while too, but it was, um, it was a solution that allowed people to m- basically mass enter data into Salesforce. So unfortunately, it was they're looking at paper things, physical things, and keying data in. So some of the requirements that I established for it based on their business needs were like had to be 100% keyboard driven, no waiting for like screens to reload after you hit save or save a new and that crap. But you could just, I mean, you're just like tab and field, 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 field. And as soon as you finish the last thing, it it wraps and, and it would do... um you know, like de- debounced like lookups if it was a relationship to things and all that kind of stuff. And that allowed them to enter this stuff like 10 times faster. Something, you know, something ridiculous. That was one. And then um, even going further back than that, I, it, I, the first thing I thought of was like some of the Six Sigma products that I did. So basically looking at, at data, figuring out what's going on. This is in a factory. But um, finding problems, coming up with solutions and tracking data to see if you actually made the problem better or worse or whatever. And um, Was I the one that wrote the system for that data? <laughs> I think I did. Um, I Was there a system for this department? I think there was. I think there was. You probably did write it. I don't, my memory's not that There's good. a time when Jeremy and I worlds crossed <laughs> when we first met and I was writing the software and he was 
well, he was writing software too, but then he went all, I'm a statistics nerd. And so <laughs> they made him a black belt. Yeah. So he collected data. But that project ended up saving something like just, just in, um, just in assets, inventory stuff, like around a million dollars a year or something like that. So not bad. Oh, those were fun days, inventory. Yeah. Jeez. And all I had to do was man the computer. <laughs> had to run all the reports. Yeah. What they use for inventory? Did it, it was hand, you know, hand counted, but what they was used it? a system I built. Okay. Yeah. And I had to be there to support that app and then also make sure all the reports ran correctly out of it. I feel like your your piece de resistance there was uh, that uh, the shop floor the, the thing. Yeah, that, that, was you, pre- that was pretty exciting. After, you built that after you left the company. I did. Yeah. <laughs> you well, out, I quit because no, they wouldn't let me build software. You, you quit in the best then, way. They wouldn't let you do what you wanted to do. So you quit, and then they paid you to come back as a consultant to do the thing you wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the best way to do it. <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That was, a, that was an interesting time in my life. Um, so, yeah. So what about processes? I mean, what do, you, what do you think is a good process to kind of limit the amount of cost? I mean, I, I think... I think having a process first of all, right? Depends on where you are in that journey. Yeah, I mean, I, I, understanding your process. Well, I mean, I think about things like deployment, having some kind of governance around deployment and managing your system and your org. I mean, there's so many people out there who are still just managing things in production and changing things in production. And then when you mature to a level where you're doing customizations, those tend to conflict and that ends up costing you time, money, effort, as well as potential I guess PR nightmares where you've done something that has affected your customers because yeah, or they have access to that data or that system or yeah, and think of a Salesforce thing. You, you get a deployment wrong, and let's say because some of these deployments take an hour or two, so you're looking at an hour or two of potential just downtime or or data corruption that's ongoing because you it takes going to take you that long to get a if you can even get a previous build to get a, the previous build back into production. You know, so you can't like do it. You can't do red. What is it? Red blue, or green blue deployments in Salesforce? You can't like you can't have your load balancer start bringing slowly bringing on the new version and 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 using your your APM solution to see you know, make sure everything's still healthy and then you just keep bringing on more nodes and mm-hmm. on, you know n- new the node. You can, it's none of that with Salesforce. It's you know so yeah having a I think that's a great example. Of, I mean having a process that is as reliable and repeatable as possible. For like deploying into Salesforce is is you know hugely valuable. I think unfortunately it's way too many companies don't understand this, and it's one of the things that I struggle just to to try to educate. And, and I mean I've had I've had some good successes of converting clients, and, and you know they they kind of they they you know they they at a high level understand it, but then over the course of you know time of implementing this and getting getting all the kinks worked out, you know they they then finally see it and they and then they can actually start realizing that value. Yeah, that's the problem. Is sometimes it's hard to measure. Well, because I think when it comes to certain things like that, and I know I'm, I feel like I'm going off topic, but it sounds like it's more work to put that governance to to kind of do all that upfront work to decide how you're going to deploy, what you're going to do, the contingency, all that kind of stuff. You're creating all this work of documentation or procedure planning and everything else. And it sounds like more work. It sounds like it costs more money. Well, there's a cost to it. And that's why, I mean, actually, I think it's a good idea to, to run a, an exercise to, or a, 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 a um, run, run some numbers and see, well, this will... Do we think Kaizen? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of manufacturing <laughs> <Right>. world. <laughs> See if, um, you know, because you don't want to spend 
you know, a bunch of people's time on implementing some solution that actually ends up not saving you anything. So, yeah. Maybe- I, I think that's probably one thing that probably is a stressor is if, you know, when you do, are kind of working out these processes and working out how you're going to manage things is testing it, running it through, having some way to measure its performance to see whether or not it's actually doing anything for you. Right. And, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, there's some times where I think it's just, it's obvious, like you're just obvious wins or, I mean, there's, there's projects when I, I'm just like, okay, we're going to do continuous, you know, like we're going to have automated deployments. We're going to have a continuous build that's running tests when we commit stuff. And that's just how I'm going to work. And that's just is what it is. I don't, I don't need to run more tests to know that's a good way to work. And that's how we should work. But isn't there something to be said for having data to be able to kind of validate your assumptions? To have there it? is. And, and you, the, the, there's a, there's an easy part and a hard part of this. It's easy to track, for example, like, um, how many successful builds you have, or how many successful production deployments versus how many failed production deployments, and it's easy to figure out how many how many automated CI you know builds have run. Uh, how many tests do you catch? How many failed tests do you catch ahead of time because you have a full CI run, you know, before production all that stuff, right? You can you can track all those numbers. What's hard to quantify is the effect, the business impact that has. Yeah, you know, I mean. Are you a business where an hour of an hour of your org being down or messed up would cost you three hundred thousand dollars in sales? Are you an org that people are just not even going to be in the office at that time, and so no, and otherwise it's not being used, so it doesn't matter? I mean, these are questions you should you mm-hmm. know kind of have an idea on what what the business impact is going to be. And I've got small clients who, you know, after five p.m., nothing happens, and so. It's the risk. What's the risk of something going wrong? Yeah. And that's just- I, I think that's a good point because I think the scale of the problem matters too. The context of the problem matters. I mean, there, there are plenty of small companies transitioning from very small to medium to even large scale that have done so much and done really well, being profitable, uh, doing a lot of manual things, running things on Excel. And they've surprisingly done really great. They've done great enough to be able to buy Salesforce and hire a bunch of expensive consultants to implement it for them. So I'm, I'm always reluctant to be critical of people that use Excel for things. And yeah. Excel's pretty badass in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's still way better than anything else out there for certain types of tasks. And to, to throw some shade at AI, I mean, people do some really amazing things. I mean, yeah. they, they can communicate and they can do some things and they can make some hard decisions that and they can scale much better than computers have been able to. Yep. And at least with Excel-like things, if you're doing statistics and whatever, at least at least you know why you arrive at the decision you arrived at. Whereas with AI, AI that's the thing with like really like machine learning is like they can give you, they can tell you, um, yeah, do this, but it really can't tell you why. And part of the reason they can't tell you why is just because they are, you know, when we set up a statistical test, we might come up with a handful of uh, of like factors, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of, you can think of it as kind of like variables. Whereas with machine learning, it can it can come up with millions, like millions of of factors, and but but it's incomprehensible as to why it gave you the answer. It knows it it can tell you what the confidence is using real maths, right? Mm-hmm. You can say, hey, we're eighty six percent confident that is a hot dog and not a Roger Mitchell, <laughs> 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 and not a tit or whatever it was. It thought he was a nipple. <laughs> <laughs> um, it can, I want the title to be that, but it just doesn't know why. It just doesn't know why that's a hot dog. I mean, it, yeah. it, it just it can't tell you. Well, because it's a 
you can see there's a bond with a weenie in it. You, it can't tell you that. It just knows. It just based well, it, on it knows how you've categorized well, that data. If you kept fetting it hot pictures of hot dogs not, and told it it's a I Roger mean, Mitchell, yeah. the next time it sees a hot dog, it'll say that's Roger Mitchell. Yeah. And if it's doing if it's doing machine learning to tell you you know which which lady I pursued, it also it really can't tell you why that is as well. Yeah. It's I don't know. It, uh, there's been some interesting um, writing that's been done on that on that topic of <laughs> how that's that's one of the interesting things about machine learning is it, it it's very difficult for for anyone to understand why it came up with the solution, the the answer it came up with. But maybe you don't always need to know why. You don't, you no, don't, you don't always, you don't need, always to. need it to be accurate. Just trust the Einstein job. Well, no, you don't always need it to be accurate, but if it can at least somewhat de- kind of reduce the data set that you have to work with, if it can somehow at least kind of focus you, allow you to focus more on things that are a little bit more important, I mean, that's probably where you can kind of live in the world of AI today, I think. Yeah. I don't know. So we talked about building systems that, that allow you to improve productivity. We talked about potentially some process improvements. We talked about AI being an improvement. Any other things you think might fall in the category of helping increase productivity or saving revenue or uh, I mean, this increasing is like, this cost? Is like an endless topic, but I, I, there's no way I'm going to come up with 10. I mean, or that I have time to. What do you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you feel about uh, I feel like you're leading me here. This is a loaded question, I can tell. How do you feel about Benioff getting rid of kegs at Salesforce? Does that improve productivity or reduce productivity? That's a good question. Does that increase? Because your... we're talking about morale, really. Exactly. Does it increase yeah. your ability to hire the right people or, or decrease your ability to hire the right people? Or does it keep the people you have happy? Yeah. Well, Salesforce is all, is all about their culture, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I think the getting rid of the keg was a form, another form of virtue signaling. But it's not. it's not really... The traditional virtue signaling. It's more like it's more uh, the company had to have an official position on this, and so Benioff made an official statement. But proceed as you will, right? You know, it's like <laughs> just, <laughs> just 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 take it in the closet uh, yeah, when I come to visit. Right. I mean, don't, and you're good. Don't I, you know? Don't make me trip over a keg when I walk in. Yeah, and then we'll be good. <laughs> Okay. So yeah, I, I think morale is a big a big factor in reducing cost. Oh yeah. I think oh, I think you'll absolutely. get better value to people yeah. if you understand how how their morale is, how they're doing, how they're feeling about their job, how they're feeling about their workload, all those kind of things. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> I, like you said, I think it's a long topic. We can speculate on a lot of things, yeah. but well, was, we gave a couple of good examples. We, we gave it a good shot. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that's all I got. Good, then what do they call it? The co- good college try. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't speak to that. <laughs> well, thank you for that, that uh, email. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if anyone else would like to email with uh, questions, topics, whatever, complaints, you want to complain about John, uh, please feel free to email. It's info at gooddayserpodcast.com. And we love the reviews. The reviews are always good. We had, we had a, much of a dry spell in reviews. I just think that we kind of have this, it's a fair, well, I'm not sure if it's true or not. I feel like it's a fairly static community. Like I feel like the people that I don't know I get invites requests oh, every, that's every day. What, I, that's what I know makes me think it's not. You know the the request to get in the Slack, right? Which, by the way, if you would like to be join our Slack, which is a fun, friendly, uh, respectful environment for people who uh, you know are want to want to get more engaged in the Good Day Sir community. Um, it's it's for that type of people. Um, if you'd like to be involved, you can. Uh, what, what what would you do, John, if you wanted to be involved? 
I'd go to the website. I'd go to www.gooddaysterpodcast.com forward slash community, or just go to gooddaysterpodcast.com, click on the menu item community, enter your email address. That'll go directly to me, and I will add you as soon as I can. I do have to manually add. Yep. So be patient with me. And you, you're welcome to just uh, lurk as well. There's no, there's no requirement for speaking up, or you don't even have to have a real photo or any of that kind of stuff. It's just yeah. uh, you, can, you can lurk, and it's, it's fine, I guess. But yeah, it, it kind of feels like it's static sometimes. But I see all these new requests coming for people I've never heard of before. So and maybe it's not. That's that's the weird thing about podcasting, or I guess broadcasting in general is you have general numbers, you got Nielsen numbers, you got Libsyn numbers, whatever. But you you don't really you don't really know. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you pay these all these high paid consultants you know, can tell you about your demographics and your psychographics and all that stuff. But it's it's just all it's kind of BS, I think, in a way. <laughs> you don't really know. That's what, Which is why we enjoy hearing from people. It is. It, actually, that is, it is real. Because, I mean, I've, before we started soliciting, I think, before we started the Slack community, before we started soliciting feedback, it's like, I, I, I just got to the point where I'm like, I, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. And it's, I think part of it was because I just didn't feel engaged. Yeah. I felt like I'm just talking into an MP3 file. Like, am, are we just kind of posting these and no yeah, one's really listening? Exactly. No one's really, you yeah. know. I mean, again, we, you have some general numbers. I don't know if they're accurate or not. I, but I mean, numbers and engagement is different. I mean, exactly. numbers and, and getting right. to interact with someone or getting to, to know someone, that's completely different. Yeah, exactly. I mean, knowing if people think you're a complete idiot, which I'm sure a lot of people do, <laughs> at least in my case, um, you know, know if people like it or don't like it or, have, you know, have whatever. Yeah, that, that, so the engagement is, is, uh, is nice, I think, at, at least for me. Anyway, um, yeah, thank you everyone for the feedback, for uh, the emails, just being involved, for listening. We appreciate it all. Yeah. And uh, we didn't get to release notes again, but we'll save that for next time. I will time. say, I think the sandbox preview thing is coming up in a couple of days, and I don't know if that's when you lose your ability to get a preview. Uh, is that when you lose your ability to get a pre-release? I don't know. It's one of those things. You guys go figure it out. It's on sales. There's a date coming up in like two days. So I think the fourth. So I think it's like a Friday's your, that may actually be too late. So I'd have to go check now or yeah. now or Thursday. Well, eventually we'll get you the Yeah, we'll talk notes. about release notes at some point. You're getting, a, you're getting a switch statement, you know, yeah. and be happy, you know. Because it's a, you get what you get and don't throw a fit. <laughs> yeah, have fun with your switch statement. <laughs> well, to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. SAP, go past uh, SAP, uh, SAP, and SAP, going after SAP and past. They're the only innovation SAP has is in rhetoric. They should try writing some software. While Oracle and SAP, Service Cloud displaced SAP in the quarter. Sorry about that, SAP. It's legacy technology from Oracle. You know, if you were paying attention to SAP as an SAP customer, she hopes to see an SAP implementation. <laughs>